Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin, and Steve Prudian, as always, is with me. And uh, today we are going to be digging into Job chapter 13. It's good to be back in the book of Job. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Dustin. Thank you for asking. I'm thinking that we um, will probably need to read this passage because nobody knows what we're going to be talking about if we don't tell them the story. That's fair enough. Um, before I read it, do you want to kind of set up and give us give us a 30-second kind of overview of where we are at entering into chapter 13? Well, we're in chapter 13, and I've entitled it, What is Our Priority? Yep. And the reason I title it, Why is Our Priority, is because there is not a word in the inspired book of the Word of God that if you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what it is, the message that the Holy Spirit has individually for you this day, if you don't ask the question, you'll never get an answer. Mm -hmm. And I believe Jesus says you have not because you ask not. Yeah, he says, uh, ask and it will be answered, knock and the door will be open. So, um, well, but get... coming but coming into Job 13, he's just been this is this is the second part uh-huh, of his still... response to Zophar. And Zophar, as we as we recall, had uh, kind of torn Job down. He said all the right things, but in the very wrong way. His attitude was wrong. His attitude was and absolutely the t- terrible. And his and his tone followed that wrong attitude. Right. Okay. But uh, I think Job had three fastballs thrown at him. Yep. And, okay. uh, and and he's done hearing the same argument from three different people. Well, he he wishes he was done. Well, the thing is, is, is that all three balls have written on the balls, Job's guilty, Job's guilty, Job's guilty. Yep. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. But hidden within these dialogues is truths about God Mm -hmm. and truths about man. Right. So therefore, there's an application that is meant for us. Even though the book is so old, it's the oldest written documented book in the Bible. And you sit there and say, it really doesn't belong there because it's an interesting story but what does it have to do with Israelites? What does it have to do with a chosen people? What does it have to do with Jesus? And the answer to that is, is Job is a type of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did not shirk from the suffering that he had to go through. Right. And Job is not sure about why he's going through suffering, and he's trying to maintain his confidence in God at the same time defending God to the people that are tearing him down, saying God is doing to this, doing this to this for you, doing this to you 
because of what you've done right. that has displeased him. Right. The sins that you've done against God. You know what? You and I have discussed the fact that oftentimes we get misunderstood. Oh, yeah. And people want to blame us with with that understanding they have. Right. Without knowing the whole story. Oh, very much so. And Job's friends don't know the whole story. Nope. Because Job's friends weren't in the throne room with God when God and the devil started this dialogue. No, they were not there. And uh, just to put in my two cents for why the book is in here, and I I agree with everything you're saying, and I think there's a lot in here that uh, is to be fleshed out. But one thing that just comes to mind while you're talking about this, Job wasn't part of God's promise to Abraham. No. But God still loved him. Different tribe and nation. Different tribe, different nation. But God said he was righteous. And so this is the oldest writing, but it's also just another evidence that God didn't intend just the Israelites to be his chosen people. That's right. He chose more than just them. And during this time period... We know of Abraham. We know of Job. How many other people are out there that are worshiping God? The God. So it's just interesting for me to think about it that way and just reframe it a little bit in my mind and go and just re-solidify and add another nail into that. Why is this in here? So... It's Anyways, too, I digress. It's too bad from the beginning of time to today. Even before Christ, yep. the road was narrow still. Yes, it was. And the road to destruction was broad. Mm-hmm. And many a man has found it already. But still, they have. But still, only a few people follow the narrow road. Mm-hmm. It seems like the broad road that's in the Bible that leads to destruction, we can say it's easy to walk because it's all downhill. But the high road is harder to walk because it's narrow and it's a climb. Mm -hmm. One of my wife's favorite books, and I haven't read it, but she's told me about it, Okay. It's a book called Hind's Feet to High Places. And okay. apparently it deals with a high hind, which is a form of a deer or a deer family that can that can um, maneuver rocky places and climb steep inclines. Okay. Okay. But this particular book is the book of a of a girl by the name of Much Afraid trying to find the meaning to life. And the two friends that she's given, um, I don't forget their names, but they're basically guides to help her to find who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. 
which is the which is the meaning of life. Very interesting. All right. Well, I think we've got a little bit of a background set here. So this is Job, and uh, he starts the first two-thirds of this. He's addressing Zophar mm-hmm. and the others that are there. And starting in verse 20, and it'll be obvious when the switch makes, the switch happens, um, Job turns his turns his focus to God mm-hmm. and starts talking to God. So... Let's read this. Job 13. Look, I have seen all this with my own eyes. I had heard it with my own ears, and now I understand. I know as much as you do. You are no better than I am. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. As for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. If only you could be silent. That's the wisest thing you could do. Listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God with lies? Do you make your dishonest arguments for his sake? Will you slant your testimony in his favor? Will you argue God's case for him? What will happen when he finds out what you are doing? Can you fool him as easily as you fool people? No, you will be in trouble with him if you secretly slant your testimony in his favor. Doesn't his majesty terrify you? Doesn't your fear of him overwhelm you? Your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Why should I put myself in mortal danger and take my life in my own hands? God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with him. But this is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. Listen closely to what I am about to say. Hear me out. I have prepared my case. I will be proven innocent. Who can argue with me over this? And if you prove me wrong, I will remain silent and die. O God, grant me these two things, and then I will be able to face you. Remove your heavy hand from me, and don't terrify me with your awesome presence. Now summon me, and I will answer, or let me speak to you, and you reply. Tell me what I have done wrong. Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy? Would you terrify a leaf blown by the wind? Would you chase dry straw? You write bitter accusations against me and bring up all the sins of my youth. You put my feet in stocks. You examine all my paths. You trace all my footprints. I waste away like rotting wood, like a moth-eaten coat. There's some pretty powerful words in that. So one of the things... I'm just going to... I'm going to jump into this here. um, And I'm going to go down to verse 14. And we might bounce back and forth a little bit in this, and that's okay. perfectly okay. But we've, you and I have talked about verse 15, mm-hmm. about God might kill me, but I have no other hope. But what was interesting is I was reading this today, and I connected 14 and 15 together. Mm-hmm. Especially coming out of the Easter season, 
you know, coming out of Easter services and Lent and Holy Week and a lot of reflection on how do I let Jesus be the king of my life? In what ways am I actually doing that? In what ways do I need to be doing that? It's interesting because why should I put myself in mortal danger, verse 14, and take my life into my own hands? Doesn't everybody? Well, right. But he's saying, why should I put myself in mortal danger and take my life into my own hands? He's suggesting that his life doesn't belong to him. That if he were to take his life into his own hands, he'd put himself in mortal danger. But right now, he doesn't have control of his life. He's given control of his life to God. And he says, God might kill me. But I have no other hope. If God chooses to kill me, let him kill me. That's, that's his choice. He has my life. If he wants to let me live, I'll live. If he wants me to die, I will die. And however he wants me to live, I will live. So he's, he's kind of saying, I've given it to God. It's God's. And whatever he does with it, he does with it. And at this point, he's given me much, and now I have nothing. And he's asking the question, why? Because he doesn't understand, because, and we've talked about it before, there is a very simple understanding of good things bring rewards, bad things bring punishment. And... There wasn't an understanding. There's no way of understanding in an earthly fashion why Job is suffering the way he is. We, as the reader, we get to see the introduction. We get to peek into the throne room where Satan is accusing God of doing just that, of only rewarding... Favoritism. Of favoritism. Favoritism. Right. He's accusing God of favoritism. And God says, here's Job. He's given his life to me completely. He's surrendered his free will in that way. You can do anything to him short of killing him. Because his life belongs to me as God, right? His life belongs to me. You can't kill him. But you can destroy him in any way, shape, or form. Take everything he has. And he won't... Exactly what Job is saying. He won't take his life back. He will not take back control of his life. He will keep looking to me for that direction, for that control. Just you watch. Do you think that Satan was a little bit jealous of Job? Oh, I think Satan was extremely, excuse me, extremely jealous of Job. Who was God's favorite? Um, well, in general, the humans. No. Who was God's favorite before humans came on the scene? Out of all the angels, who was God's favorite? Well, would that perhaps be Lucifer? Satan thought that he... He knew he was favored by God. Right. 
but he abused that position of favoritism. Right. He thought because because of his position, he should be receiving some of the glory. So now he sees a man Mm -hmm. who God is blessing. Yep. And so what does he think? Why him and not me? Yeah. (laughs) You cast me out, cast him out. So in reality, he's seeking revenge from the sidelines. Yep. Okay. Okay. By literally picking up on Satan. So when you and I have bad days, now you know where it comes from. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. I, but something sometimes, has to, yeah. Something has to precipitate it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it isn't anything you do. Sometimes it's what other people do. Right. Sometimes, sometimes it's the consequences of my actions. Or my attitudes. Sometimes it's the consequence of somebody else's actions or attitudes, and sometimes, and this is and this is where the Job factor comes in. Sometimes it is what I would I generally refer to it this way as just the consequences of living in a fallen and sinful world. And Jesus said, "You will have you will have troubles. You will have trouble, trials and tribulations." And a get, plenty. <laughs> and guess what? We know his name. Mm-hmm. And his name is Satan. Yep. He doesn't like us at all. Nope, he doesn't. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up one one other part. And you're not you're not following along. You don't have your Bible open. No, I don't. You weren't following along, so you didn't see the part that I intentionally misread. No, I didn't. What did you intentionally misread? Okay. Then again, I have a different version to yours. I might, you, I might still not have seen it. You would have caught it. Okay. I, I guarantee you would have caught it. I must not be on my game if I didn't catch something you misread. <laughs> okay. Well, you're not reading along with me, so you're not going to be able to really call me out on this. because it was So a, how do you change the words on something? Okay, so... In verse 23, okay, okay, verse 23, what's actually written in my Bible, the first part of it says, tell me, what have I done wrong? Okay. And I, I, I switched those words. I made it a statement and not a question. Tell me what I have done wrong. Oh, you're playing God. <laughs> I'm playing translator. Yeah, you're I'm, playing God. I'm, 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 I'm playing Tyndall here. Um, well, it was just something that, again, reading reading a little bit earlier today, when I read through it, and this is just how my mind works, I just, the question, the question didn't sit as well with me as the statement does. The question doesn't. The question doesn't. When I read it as a question, it makes my brain itch a little bit. I don't does know if you. Th- I don't know if you ever get that. Does it stay a question or does it change? But changing it to a statement. Tell me what I have done wrong. In the context of God, give me these two things. Grant me these two things. Tell me what I have done wrong. 
And it's really just a preference. I don't think it really changes the meaning of it, but I did want to be, I guess I wanted to be transparent that I did change that in the reading. Well, since you've brought up the question, mm -hmm. and Job, you, you made a statement, but Job asked a question. Are we supposed to ask God where we've displeased him? Oh, absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? No, there's not. Okay. Um, if he is our father and we are his children, mm -hmm. what is a good relationship between a father and a child? Open, Open. honest, direct communication. Working together, doing yep. things together. Right. So... We can't say that Job is being arrogant. No. Okay. We can't say that Job is doing anything wrong if, in fact, he's willing to make it right. Mm -hmm. You can't make right what you don't know is wrong. Right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and and he does say, you know, tell me so I, you know, basically he's saying, tell me what I've done wrong so I can fix it. Tell, tell me what's wrong. I don't know what I've done wrong. And, okay, now just another thought coming into my head. I grew up in a Lutheran church. Okay. And At least you grew up in a church. I did. But that kind of can screw you up, you know. I. We're not going there um, in any way, shape, or form. But part of... It's a very liturgical setting, mm -hmm. right? Very, very structured, very ordered. Very safe. Very, very clean cut, mm -hmm. right? Very safe. Yeah, sure. All right. And, uh, but, but one of the, one of the things we did was, you know, some of the reciting of the creed, right? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. depending on you know, the flavor of Lutheran or Presbyterian or Episcopalian, you know these, you know these creeds, mm -hmm. right? People out there know them. But they um, don't understand them. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but... No, they become a vain repetition. The Lord's Prayer can become a vain repetition. Sure it can, but the part that's really coming to me is, you know, we ask for forgiveness for the sins that we know, and for those we don't know, forgive the sin that I don't even recognize in myself. I'm sinning against you, God, and I don't even know how I'm sinning against you. So forgive, forgive me for that. And there comes a time in our life where we're ready to take care of that, right? You and I have talked about this idea of a word of the year. Mm-hmm you know, as kind of a, kind of an inspiration for, focus. for growth. A focus. It's a focus, a discipline for the year, right? And my word for this year is cultivate. Oh, you've been reading the book? No. Oh, because you're going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that yet. Okay. But, and if that's in there, that's just that's another, that's, that's just. what the whole book is about, is cultivating. And so, and so it's. God ordained that uh -huh. you gave me that book. Um, but that's a whole different story, and nobody listening knows what we're talking about anymore. Um, 
But those are the things that when it comes time and our heart's ready, those sins that we don't know will be brought forth. Mm-hmm. We'll become aware of them, and that's our opportunity to cultivate. That's our opportunity to take that sin, to pull that weed in our lives so that we can bear more fruit, so we can stop feeding the weeds, and we can better feed the plant, the tree, however you want to call it. So, and that's, that's what Job is calling out here for. He said, I, I thought I was doing everything right. I didn't know I was sinning. If I was sinning, God, I didn't know. So tell me, what did I do wrong? And of course, we've already talked about it. He was righteous. It wasn't about him. Do you know what's interesting? What's that? Oftentimes, we want to associate an action with what we did wrong. Right. When you get to the part where God starts talking to Job, God will reveal to Job what it really is that displeases God. Mm-hmm. And you know what God says? What's that? It's really simple. He says, Job, you got a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> you got to change your thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He says, when you start changing your thinking, you start thinking in the right way, then we can do something. And you know what the test was? What was that? One of the hardest tests in the world. God says, you know those guys who've been really beating up on you? He says, he says, you know and I know what they deserve. Mm-hmm. He says, but he says, Job, he says, you got to forgive them. Yep. Okay, so now, yeah, you're suffering, okay? But your attitude towards your friends, or supposedly your friends, isn't the best attitude. And subsequently, your attitude towards me is a little on the haughty side. Yep. So he says, um, you know that I don't do haughty well. Never has. Never have. Nope. He says, so he says, the test is, is you have to make the effort. You have to go and you have to not only forgive your friends, but you have to prove the forgiveness for your friends. You have to go out and you need to perform a sacrifice, one for each friend, to show that you are willing to sacrifice and to forgive them of what they've had to say about not only about to you, but also what they've had to say about me. Right. You know the reason why God did that? Something's bubbling in my brain, but I don't think it matches yours. There are days that we become like the friends of Job. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because we don't understand we think that in our religious state, right? Okay, that we are offering advice, but it is advice absent from grace and mercy. Because mm-hmm. religion yep. takes the place of grace and mercy. And you talked about liturgical churches. Yep. 
If you look at a liturgical church, a liturgical church says, the church will save you. It, I think it really depends on the individual leading that church, mm -hmm. because there are, there definitely are pastors and... I'm not talking about the pastors, I'm talking about the institution of... Right, the institution as a whole, but I'm going to say the individual churches, mm -hmm. the local churches. There are leaders in those churches, pastors, mm -hmm. priests, what, what have you. You would never have a Martin Luther that, if you didn't question. Right, but there are, there are those leaders that twist that back to how it's supposed to be mm -hmm. and, it's, and make it a saved by grace through faith. I had a card probably 50 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the card. I looked at the card because I told you who I was working for. Yep. Okay, and I had this card of a person, and I'll just say say it that they accepted Jesus Christ, that they wanted more information about Jesus Christ, but they identified as being a member of a Catholic church. Okay. Okay. As an organization, we promised that we would help these people to understand and learn more. Right. But the thing is, 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 is that um, we didn't have a place for them to go to learn more or a person that they could learn from. So right. I got this card, okay, it was in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and I had to find a Catholic church that would be willing to use Billy Graham Evangelistic Association's discipleship program. They got their own thing, Right. Yeah. So I was stumped. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to, how am I going to do this? And then somebody told me. And I says, it can't be. It just can't be. They says, well, we know a priest who's a charismatic Catholic. And my mind says, those two words don't go together, charismatic Catholic. What does that mean? Okay. Okay, and they said to me, well, you need to meet the guy, but he really loves Jesus. Okay, I know that they know about Jesus. I said, but I didn't know there really there was a charismatic priest really loves Jesus. So I went and I met the guy. Okay. Okay, some of them wouldn't even, even once I called them on the phone, they wouldn't have anything to do with me. But this guy went to, he, he's gracious, and I went to meet him, and I took the materials, and I says, here's a lady who lives in your area who wants to know more about Jesus. She doesn't want to know more about the church. She wants to know about a relationship with Jesus. Right. I says, and that's our business. Our business isn't trying to tell a person, you have to be this or you have to be that. We just want to introduce you and have you learn more about Jesus. I says, I was told that you're open-minded enough that you'd be willing to, may be willing to help us. He says, say what you have. So I showed him, and right. I showed him the steps. And he says, I don't see anything wrong with that. I says, I says, I have to let you know. I says, there's no mention in there about Mother Mary. He That's says, fair. well, he says, you said it was about Jesus. Right. So he actually took it on. But I left, and I said, who did I just meet, and what just happened? <laughs> well, and I think, I think that points out just kind of exactly what we're talking about, that 
sometimes we get a little haughty. Sometimes we, we, sometimes we, we, we get, make assumptions. Sometimes we get a little, I'm right and you're wrong. And, you know, when it comes down to it, Jesus is the great equalizer of all of us. Uh-huh. Either you love him or you don't. You know what's interesting is we're reading this old book of Job. Yep. Right? But in this old book of Job, we see Jesus somewhere in every chapter. Yes, we do. So, Job may be old. Jesus may be older. Yep. But you know what? He was alive and well then, and he's more alive and well now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt whatsoever in my mind we serve a living God who is actively reigning. Well, we should tell people that um, uh, in the class, the class is going to go for two weeks because yep. because of the, the depth of the chapter. Okay? Right. Um, I find that it, it is kind of... It's interesting that sometimes you shouldn't have a chapter break in the Bible. You know what I mean? You shouldn't have a chapter break. because Because right. it, it interrupts the flow of, of the message. Mm-hmm. However, in doing Job chapter 13, I couldn't help but looking on the other side of the river. All right. Okay. To realize that Job 13, Job chapter 13 was really getting down to the sum of the question. And if you look at your sheet, Dustin, the sum of the question is this. It's actually Job 14, the first verse. Mm -hmm. And And Job is coming to this point here, and he's saying, How frail is man, how few his days, how full. Of trouble. Yep. But the promise is Jesus said the same thing. Men's lives are full of trials and tribulation. We need Jesus. We do need Jesus. Because guess what? He knows what he's talking about. Yep. And we can't avoid the trials and we can't avoid the tribulations. And I don't want to say this by giving credit to someone who doesn't deserve the credit. But I will say this. We live in a world of fallen men. Mm -hmm. And because of fallen men, evil has been allowed to have its influence upon men. Yes. Okay. In In another way to say trials and tribulation is to say that evil is at play in and around our lives. Yep. And we can't we are powerless against it unless we have the power of Jesus who has overcome it. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was thinking. He says we are going to have lives. It's going to be full of trouble. It's going to be full of trials. The world is going to hate us. But fear not, because the world hated him first, and he's overcome it. When I was young, young, young Christian, mm-hmm. not even a year old Christian, 
Okay. Baby Christian. Baby Christian. A test, a real test of faith is to uh, be in um, a Christian liberal arts college and one of the teachers who teaches the scriptures is diagnosed with cancer. Okay, that's... And you scratch your head and you say, geez, since he knows what he's talking about and he gets sick. Mm-hmm. I see where you're going with this. Yep. What hope do I have? It bothered me. It bothered me. It bothered me. One day, one day I had this opportunity mm -hmm. outside of the classroom and outside of the office. He was having a picnic lunch on the grass on campus. Okay. And this thing is really bothering me. And really, the reason it's really bothering me is, is because it was disturbing to my newfound faith. Right. Okay. I was expecting things to be better and than this. Right. So I said to the man, this man was fluent and, and I, he was actually a Hebrew scholar that taught Hebrew in a Christian liberal arts college, okay? Okay. And so I says, well, maybe he knows something other than what's in the Bible because of his Hebrew background. So I went, I says, Marvin. He says, yeah. I says, can I sit down and talk to you for a minute? Sure. I says, you know, I says, I'm really sorry about the can cancer diagnosis. And I says, and I can't understand a brilliant person like you having brain cancer. Brilliance and brain cancer. Mm -hmm. I says, this makes no sense. I says, why would God want to give you brain cancer? I says, which is where your brilliance is at. Right. Okay. And I said to him, I says, tell me. I said, I need to know. I says, is there a lesson here? I says, how do you deal with that? I says, I don't see you getting really upset. I says, I wouldn't be able to teach those classes that you're teaching. I says, with this happening. Right. I says, I'd have a shift of attitude. Mm -hmm. I says, I don't, I wouldn't know what to believe at this point. Right. I says, and this is where I'm at and looking at you. And I'm saying, is there something I don't know here? And he asked me this very simple question. Okay. He says, um, let me ask you this. He says, were you born a human first or a Christian? I said, well, that's easy. I says, you know the answer to that. I says, I have to be a, you can't be a Christian unless you're a human first. Right. He said, exactly. And I says, I don't understand still. He says, I want you to think about it. He says, by being born a human, he says, what are we entitled to? I never thought about being born a human. What are we entitled to? Hmm. Yeah. At this age, because I was only 19, I would say, a future. Yeah. We're entitled to a future. And so he said, um, is it a right or a privilege? 
It's a good question. And I says, really good question. And I says, well, I says, I thought it was a given right. If you're born, you're born to live. That's a given right. He said, you missed the point. He says, it's a privilege. Yep. He said, did you do anything to be born? I says, no. He says, more so. He says, if we're, if you, if since we are born into a world of sickness and disease and tribulations and trials, he says, you know, he says, bad things happen to good people. Yep. I says, I heard, I heard some guy talking about that. There was some evangelist or some positive speaking preacher from California who was advocating that at that time. Yep. So I says, Marvin, that doesn't answer my question. I says, what are you going to do about it? He says, yeah. I get up, I prepare for my classes, I present my classes as long as God gives me strength. He says, I believe, he says, in the God who heals. He says, but I do know. He says, that I can unequivocally say that I also believe in the God who saves. Yep. And he says, and that is your focus, is on the God who saves. He said, did you ever question whatever happened to Lazarus? Lazarus, which one? He said, the one that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I never thought about Lazarus after the story. I said, who does? Right. He says, if Lazarus died and he was risen from the dead, Where's Lazarus today? Well, I don't know. He says, just because Jesus did the ultimate healing right. of raising a person from the dead, he mm -hmm. says, that wasn't the ultimate purpose. He says, the ultimate purpose is, he's, is to find faith in him. Right. And he says, and so therefore I focus on my faith in him and not on my condition. So I've learned that we have the gift of life in order to be able to find the one who can truly save us. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think Job knew that God, no matter what, could truly save him. And even in the book, he talks about even if he does go to Sheol. Yep. Okay? He's looking forward to the time that he gets out of Sheol. <laughs> exactly. And I think that just circles right back to where I, where I kind of started us in verses 14 and 15. Whose hands are your life in? N not mine. I can't have a flat tire. I didn't Not ask mine. for that. <laughs> but you're, I mean, the story with the professor. As uh -huh. a young Christian, you still had your life in your hands. You hadn't put it fully into God's hands yet. Whereas I, your professor, your professor had fully put his life I into God's hands. I didn't and understand. He, was, he just went with whatever God gave him. You know, I was basing, I was basing my presumption Mm -hmm. On the fact that this guy had enough um, enough bankrolled, yeah, okay, yeah, enough chips, okay, <laughs> that he would that, that basically he could he could cover any bet. Yep. 
And I was a little taken back because I realized I could never have enough chips. Right. Okay. I couldn't cover the bet. Nope. Okay. It's funny that people will spend all kinds of money to try to find healing. And in spending, making all of this effort to try to find physical healing, all their energies are spent missing the real healing. Right. And that's really the healing of your soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's just such a great place to end it this week, Steve. Um, any parting thoughts, final words? We're going to get into this next week because we can't finish it in one week. <laughs> we haven't even gone into the highlights of the chapter yet. <laughs> All right. So look forward to more from Chapter 13, or maybe next week we'll just go off of the rails again. I had a person ask me, when are, you gonna, when are we going to be done with this? Yeah. And I says, uh, when is God going to be done with his word? Well, that's... <laughs> what is the answer to that? When is God done with his word? He's not. So, no, I think it's great. And uh, I don't know, when we're done studying Job, when we finally get through it at some point next year, maybe we'll just start it over. No, I'm sure. I'd, I'm I'd sh be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I love the book. I'm sure that God will have another deep teaching. Yep. Okay. He'll have He'll have something else for something you. Something that's a deep teaching that is oftentimes neglected. Yep. And I don't know what it is yet, but I do know that when He impresses on what it is, mm -hmm. that we will both learn from it absolutely i agree with that a thousand percent well steve thank you very much for coming in today thank you dustin it's my pleasure <laughs>